0: Good morning, church. I hope you're all well today and um, not getting too housebound, um, but getting out and doing some exercise for your, your mental and spiritual health. When I started this series on apologetics, uh, the idea was that I would do um, an overview of scripture and uh, look at the accuracy and the, and how reliable it actually is, and then move to the, uh, to the topic of the resurrection and prove through the accuracy of scripture that the resurrection actually took place and that it proved that Jesus was God. But as I started thinking about the resurrection, it made me want to go uh, deeper into this idea of the resurrection proving that Jesus was God. I started to think, is that all there is in terms of the evidence? Is that is our entire faith based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that uh, he that proves that he was God, see if the resurrection is the only thing that proves Jesus is God, then someone might conclude, as was common in Jesus' day, that he became God after his death, that because of his sinless because of his sacrifice, because he lived a good life, because he was a, done good deeds, that he became God, which means that if that was true then when he died he wasn't god and that means that a man died a good man died a good teacher a person who could do miraculous things he died but he wasn't god and that means he wasn't perfect and so how can we be sure then of our salvation the idea that a human could become god is not a christian belief it's been around for a long time. It's thousands of years old. And the Egyptians believed that when the pharaohs died, they became gods, and that they would continue to lead them in the next life. That's why they built such elaborate pyramid. In the early Greek mythology, after his time on Earth, you might remember movies are made of a guy called Hercules, who became God because of his great deeds um, in... in In 331 BC, Alexander the Great began to represent himself as God, the son of Zeus, and place himself alongside Hercules, and he expected that after he had died, because of all he he had achieved and done, that he would become God. In the time of Jesus, the emperors, um, they all believed themselves to be gods. Augustus declared Julius Caesar divine after his death and when Augustus died his son Tiberius declared that Augustus was was God and in 31 AD Octavian described himself as the divine Caesar and he displayed himself as Neptune and uh, You can see that on the coin that is holding symbols of universal power and standing on one, with one foot on the world. And witnesses were made to swear about these emperors that they saw them when they departed, their soul uh, ascending up into heaven. And this is how people of our day can so easily dismiss that Jesus is God, that it was common practice for people to become gods after their death. And so they put Jesus into this mythical um, God, Uh, Small G category, and that's how, um, and that's how comedian Ricky Gervais explains his atheism. He says, and I'll quote: He says, since the beginning of recorded history, historians have catalogued 3,700 supernatural beings, of which 2,870 can be considered deities. So he says, the next time someone tells me they believe in God. I'll say, which one? Zeus, Hades, Jupiter, Mars, Odin, Thor, Krishna or Ra? If they, don't say, if they say, I only believe in one God, I'll point out that they are nearly as atheistic as me. I don't believe in 2780, and they don't believe in 2869. So, Gervaisi is right to an extent, ...that I'm an atheist when it comes to believing that there are 2,869 gods... ...because I only believe in one God... ...and that is Jesus, that Jesus was God. In an article to the Wall Street Journal, Gervais says... ...that it's not up to me to prove that why I don't believe in God... ...he says surely the burden of proof is on the believer... Why do you believe in God? And that's a great question, isn't it? I think he's right. We would say the same to a person who, um, who believes in 4 as God. We would say to them, Well, demonstrate your evidence for that. What proof do you have that he is God? So if we conclude that the resurrection is the only proof that Jesus is God, and that the whole of Christianity is founded on the belief that Jesus is God because he rose from the dead then, as I said, he's not the only one who claims to be God. And someone might say that Jesus is not the only one to actually come back from the dead. And they're right. If resurrection from the dead is proof that you are God, then there are many gods among us. For example, not that long ago, we were reading in 1 Kings chapter 17, that through Elijah... God raised the son of a widow of Zareth from the dead. And after Elijah, Elisha also raised a boy from the dead in 2 Kings chapter 4 by laying himself on the body. In 2 Kings chapter 13 verse 20, when Elisha died, he was buried. And a group of Moabite raiders... Uh, used to invade the land each spring verse twenty one says that once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a man they spied a band of these raiders, and so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of elisha, and they fled. But as soon as the body touched elisha 's elisha 's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. We remember the story in Ezekiel where He saw a whole army raised from the dead, Ezekiel chapter 37. Jesus himself raised three people from the dead, a boy, a girl, and Lazarus. And when Jesus himself died, many people rose from their graves. Verse 50 says, Then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The earth shook rocks split apart and tombs opened and the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead and they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people in Acts chapter 9 it says Peter raised Tabitha from the dead Acts chapter 20 Paul raised a young man, Iticus, who fell out of a three-story window when Paul was preaching Paul went down and he raised him from the dead, and he continued preaching. I imagine that would have been a pretty powerful object lesson. So, all of these stories really point out and demonstrate that God has the power to raise people from the dead. And that gives us hope that God will fulfill his promise to raise us from the dead after we die, when Jesus returns. And Christians know that the the resurrection doesn't prove that we are gods it just proves that god has the power to raise the dead but there's also one who will actually use the resurrection and resurrection power to fool many people he will he'll recover from a fatal wound it says in revelation chapter 13 and he'll claim to be god in the flesh he's known as the antichrist and he will rule the world for a for a time and thousands of people will recognise him as God and worship him Revelation chapter 13 verse 3 says I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery but the fatal wound was healed and the whole world marvelled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast well not the whole world because uh, verse 8 goes on to talk about the fact that those whose names are written in the the Lamb's book of life before the world was made, they'll be secure. We we don't have to worry. So Christians know that the resurrection of people doesn't mean that they become gods. So what about Jesus? Does that mean that he is God? What evidence do we have prior to his resurrection that demonstrates that he is God? How do we know that Jesus is not like a normal emperor who people declared him God after his death or people they fabricated witnesses to say yes we saw jesus rise from the dead this is where the evidence in the old testament is is so valuable it's so relevant evidence that jesus is god is not just found in the new testament it's it's right all the way through the old testament we just read that before the world was made that the lamb of god wrote a list of names that, that he preordained would come to know him which indicates that he was before time, he is before our time. So let's look at this beginning to see where Jesus fits in. And I'm going to use a helpful framework that I found by an author called Glenn Shriver in an article he wrote on where is Jesus in the Old Testament. And he says that all the way through the Old Testament, Jesus is patterned, he's promised, and he's present. I like that, so we'll use that as a framework. And let's start at Genesis chapter three. what we see in Genesis chapter three is that Christ is patterned. Now Shriver says that Adam and Eve were hiding from God and they were trying to cover themselves with leaves. Why was that? Well, because their conscience was, they were aware they'd done the wrong thing and they were ashamed of their sin. And they attempted to manage their sin by covering up or hiding their badness and projecting a false goodness. And the Lord, though, come along and he has a different solution. He covers them up, not with vegetation, but with skins. And we're not told, Shriva says, what innocent animal died to clothe the guilty. But Isaiah and Paul pick up this substitutionary pattern He says, We, the guilty, are clothed with a righteousness not of our own making. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 says, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes so Christ was patterned he was the he became the covering the skin covering that took away their shame in the garden Christ was promised remember uh, when God first placed the curse on the serpent And the ground. He didn't actually place the curse on Adam and Eve, but he cursed uh, Satan and the ground. And he told Adam and Eve how that hostility would run rampant between Satan and man, between man and woman, and between man and the ground. He would have to work from the sweat of his brow to actually produce a crop. And we also have to work at our relationships, don't we? We also promised that Jesus would put an end to all of this hostility. Think about that. He would put an end to the hostility between man and Satan. He would put an, hostility, an end to the hostility between relationships with people and the hostility between man having to work their way and, and uh, overcome the weeds and the thistles and, the, and all of the, the things that make life so difficult. In chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In his commentary on Galatians, uh, Martin Luther comments that all the promises of God lead back to this first promise concerning Christ in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's a big statement, isn't it? He says, the faith of the fathers in the Old Testament era and our faith in the New Testament era are one and the same faith in Christ Jesus. Time does not change the object of true faith or the Holy Spirit. There has always been and always will be one mind, one impression, one faith concerning Christ among true believers, whether they live in times now, times past now or in times to come so christ was promised and we cling to that promise that he will crush the head of satan and bring an end to all hostility he was promised right at the beginning and finally christ was present in the garden he is the person who's walking in the garden with adam and eve in the cool of the evening Jonathan Edwards put words to the most common opinion of the Church Fathers, Reformers and Puritans. He said, When we read in sacred history what God did from time to time toward his Church and people, and how he revealed himself to them, we are to understand it especially in the second person of the Trinity. When we read of God appearing after the fall in some visible form, we are ordinarily, if not universally, to understand it Of the second person of the Trinity namely Jesus that Jesus was there and I don't think that Jesus was actually uh, there in the form that we think of a human form that he was there in the flesh he had some form but I don't think it was human form because he didn't take on flesh until he was born of a virgin and John chapter 14 John chapter 1 verse 14 says that the Word became flesh, and He dwelt His dwelt among us. So prior to His birth and after His death, Jesus had a different form of His body. He could appear and from nowhere and uh, appear through walls and and all sorts of things. And so I'm not sure what form that took, but it was a visible form. People could recognise Him. He even showed Thomas after His. Uh, resurrection the holes in his hands and feet and Thomas touched them Um, Jesus even ate and drank and so that is beyond my capacity to understand what sort of um, body that was but it's the sort of body that we will have after we are resurrected from the dead the bodily image is not the image of God John chapter 1 verse 18 says that no one has seen God but the one who is near to the Father has revealed God to us. And so Jesus was present in the garden, although not in the form that we would think. He wasn't human. He was an image of God. So your homework this week is to see if you can find other occurrences, if you like, uh, throughout the Old Testament, the great Bible study practice, to recognise some of the patterns... We've done it as we've in our speaking as we went through the Old Testament. What were some of the patterns? What are some of the promises that we can look forward to? And uh, where is Jesus present? Where did he show up? Because all this is really evidence that Jesus is God. The foretelling of Jesus to come, when he showed up, that was what people. That 's what we can say well this is this happened in the past and this is what he did to achieve those promises and so there is no doubt that Jesus is God the takeaway for me this week is that I've recently become aware that I was taught things in my youth as a child that aren't don't seem to match up with with scripture for example we still talk about the this idea of when we die going to heaven and as I read through scripture, it's become clear, it becomes clear that we don't go to God, he continually comes to us. God is continually coming down to, made up, to meet us. He makes his dwelling among us. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And when we pray that the kingdom comes, it's not that we go to the kingdom, it's that the kingdom comes to us, that the kingdom takes place its root in our hearts it's established in our hearts in our lives and to me this idea that the kingdom comes that the spirit feels this is the greatest evidence that we have that jesus is god that he died and made it possible for the holy spirit to come down into us not just after we die do we inherit eternal life and become sons and daughters of god that we are now spiritual beings made spiritual by the holy spirit who actually indwells us here on earth and in that sense then we are the evidence for god we are the light we point people back to god and when people say that jesus is not god they should see in us something of jesus his life his love his sacrifice his the fruits of the Spirit, they should be evident in our life. And so the kingdom comes. It's a challenge for me to represent the kingdom today and this week as people look at me. Do they see evidence that God exists, that Jesus is God? So let us in everything that we do and say, let's bring hope. Into this hopeless situation. Let's bring love into a loveless situation. Let's be the one who demonstrates what God is truly like this week. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you that He came, that He died, and that He rose again. We thank you that He is the one who has written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life before the world began. And so we can take great confidence. In this, Knowing that whatever happens to us in this life, our future is secure. That we will have an eternal relationship with you. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of myths or, or any uh, fables or stories. But because of the fact that Jesus came. That God came in bodily form. He died on a cross to deal with our sin. And to give us hope of a resurrection and a life to come. Father, I pray for all those in our church today and all those associated with our church who are struggling with their health, both spiritual, emotional and mental health. Lord, be close to them. Fill them with your spirit. Father, let them know that you are a God who loves them and cares for them. I pray for all of these things today, including the situations that are going on in our world. Lord, we just commit the Afghani people to you. Lord, you know the situation and you alone can intervene and we know that you will. So, Lord, we we pray for them today earnestly. We pray that they will come to know you, the true and living God, that they'll come to know that Jesus is God. He's not just a good man who became God after he died. We commit these people to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week, church.